Whenever Jesus spoke to the people, he always said, fear not. We won't be here until lunchtime. <laughs> but we'll try to contain ourselves. <laughs> Just a okay. Daryl, just share that. Yes. Um, just while Jackie and I were preparing uh, for, for today, um, in, in the prayer, just God gave me a very clear picture of a very beautiful, ornate vase. Uh, think Ming Dynasty type vase. And um, as I got the picture of it, the, the, the pedestal which it was on rocked. And this vase tumbled to the ground, um, breaking into several pieces. And then someone going to, to gather up all these pieces and glue them faithfully together and to try and restore it to what it was. Um, and just a sense of God saying that all too often, um, he's there. To, I, th- I think when, when you prayed, you said that the word that came out was that we asked that God that shatters our mindsets and shatters what our preconceived ideas. And just a sense of that is what he's trying to do in the church. And it's not just the church in Sarepta, but it's the church in general, to stop us from holding on to what we believe, what believe, what we believe is the right thing, what we believe is, uh, uh, well, truth is one, one whole matter because the truth is the word. But just a sense of, of wanting to keep putting it back together, um, right down to when we walk into the church, wanting to sit in the exact same seat, every single time and and we all put our hands up um for that one um but he's wanting to shatter that and break that and we we mustn't fall into the trap of wanting to piece it back together because what we know is safe what he wants us to move into our discomfort uh, when we are comfortable we move away from god thank you david you mind bringing that flip chart here yeah So we're going to start reading the first scripture, and it comes from uh, 2 Chronicles 7. I think we're starting to read it, verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple. So that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I commanded and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor 
to rule over Israel. Now this is probably a scripture most people know of by heart, the core verse, if my people are called by my name. But just to give a bit of context, uh, Solomon just finished building the temple and apparently his palace as well. And in chapter 6, he spends three columns, is written and recorded his prayer. This is the prayer God answered here. And this prayer for three columns is, Lord, if my people go astray, if they follow idols, if you send pestilence, if this happens, won't you forgive and won't you listen and heal and hear and restore? I mean, they really had a party. And when, when he finished praying this, fire descended upon the temple. Now, I mean, I would have given what to have been in Acts when the fire came down. We all want to see God do something amazing. But what they did is the king, Solomon, sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And they had 14 days of whatever you want to call it, celebration or festive. This was a bloody mess. There wasn't enough place on the altar for the sacrifices for the fat and stuff. They couldn't handle it. There was so much of it. And at the end of the 14 days, everything was sorted. Solomon went home and he went to bed and God spoke to him and said this to him in response to his prayer. And he gave him this promise that if you, then I. Um, <clears throat> there are four actions. Humble, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. Then God will respond with, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal your land. Now, I, I, I might be wrong, but I, am a, I have a sense that we need healing and forgiveness in this land. And I have a sense that God wants to hear this prayer and wants to do something. So, I just want to write those things down. There are four of them. Uh, humble. If my people, who are my people? Does that refer to us? Are we all agreed about that? We don't have to argue about that one. Okay. We are his people. We're called by his name. We're called Christians after the name of Christ. So we agreed. We're his people. So let's go to the next one, Darrell. Okay, the next, the next one being uh, um, humble. And I think this is something that we all struggle with a little bit, particularly myself. And uh, <laughs> if you see where, where the, how the, many times the Bible refers to humility and being humble, and, and, and it just is so much context. So I've, I've just narrowed it down to three, uh, to 12, sorry. So we were out here the whole day. But I just want to go through them quickly. And there's scripture to support each one is that part of humility is routinely, routinely confessing your sins to God and to others. It's part of the gospel message. It's part of our salvation. Um, and 
It's about rigorous self-honesty -exa examination, an essential practice of humility. And it goes in with righteousness because often we hear righteousness is described being in right standing with man and God or with God and man. So therefore it goes that our, our sins should be confessed to both God and man. We need to take wrong patiently. Uh, all too often uh, when something goes wrong, we want to immediately react and, and rectify it. But sometimes it needs to be something that is prayerfully considered. And we need to stop reacting from our own strength. We need to stop reacting from being offended. And we need to start re uh, responding to what God is asking us. To actively submit to authority. Wow. The good and the bad. Remembering God put the government in place. And just because the road isn't fixed doesn't give you a right to not pay your taxes. Um, and it is also down to submitting to those that we choose to submit with in church leadership and eldership. We're here because we sit under a leader. We sit at the feet of, of our elders. To receive correction and feedback from others graciously is another aspect of humility. How often do we jump on the offense bandwagon? Instead of stepping back and saying, you know what, I'm going to consider what you've said and I'll get back to you. And to actually go away and sit in a time with God and say, Lord, is there truth in this? To accept a lowly place. At work, we want to be recognized. In our homes, in our church, we want to be recognized for what we do. But that's not being humble. That is seeking recognition. It's wanting to sit at the head the whole time. To purposely associate with people of low estate. There's an Afrikaans saying, We are not ducks of the same dam. And in a way it's, it's arrogance and in a way it's not being humble because we choose, you know, they're not birds of my feather so why should I associate with them? But we live in a nation, nation that is so diverse and so wide. In this, in this very church, it's so uh, diverse and wide. Why aren't we associating with other purely because they're believers and they're people who, who recognize Christ and they're God's people? To choose to serve others. If it doesn't cost you, it's not serving. I want to say that again. If it doesn't cost you, it's not serving. And therefore, it's not humility. To be quick to forgive. I remember listening to a sermon that Jockey preached in a church I used to go to down the road. And he spoke on, on, on forgiveness. And he put it, forgiveness is such a, it's something that we don't really want to take hold because it might bite. But he spoke about forgiveness being like debt. And it's a debt that cannot be repaid. So you write it off. And then you're set free to actually build and and be productive and be more because your debt, people's debt to you in that unforgiveness is taken away. You no longer feel like you have to drink poison so that the other person dies. Cultivate a grateful heart. Thankful. I don't think that needs much, but so many of us, we're so, we're so busy complaining about what we don't have, we forget to be thankful for what we do have. We need to purpose to speak well of others. My gosh, we're a nation of complainers and whiners. And I'm not talking about flattering people, because flattery is not godly. But I'm talking about just 
speaking well of others, speaking to Christ in them. Because when we call out Jesus in them, then it can be a matter of Jesus within us, the hope of glory. And, and lastly, treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. It's our nature to be proud. And it's God's nature in us that brings humility. Committing to lifestyle of daily dying to ourselves and living through him is the foundation of true humility. As the verse says, humble yourself. Thank you, Daryl. Um, just a comment, if we're aware of our humility, we're actually proud. <laughs> if we're aware of our humility, we're actually proud of it. So humility is just a state that we are unaware of, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. When we humble ourselves before God, then we can pray. We want to pray, connect to God. And actually, to be able to pray, we have to prioritize it. Otherwise, we don't get around to it. When it's important enough, we will find the time to spend with God. And to develop intimacy with him. Because the verse you prayed this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 was, uh, sorry, now my. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the purpose of this time of prayer is to be transformed, not to go shopping. With a list to God and say, Lord, this is your task list for today. I want to see you by tonight having ticked them. Lord, your job is to change me. Here I am. Transform me when I face up. Seek his face. I think this is one that, that yeah. Um, in looking what the, the verse means in terms of seek his face, um, it actually means, the, the seek the Lord means seeking his, his, his presence. And uh, for me as a Christian in my daily living, we all know that we should be reading our Bible on a regular basis. We all know the things that we should be doing. And, and always the excuse comes up, like, I'm so busy, and, and this came up. And, and, uh, and then I'm reminded of something that I often share with, with people that I work with when there's stuff to be done. And they'll tell me that they're busy, etc., etc. And I'll say to them, well, you know, let's change your wording a little bit. Instead of saying you're busy, why don't you say... It's not a priority. And see how that feels. Because that's actually what it is, is that it's in our lives, things that have a priority will take preference over our busyness. And uh, I am urged at must for myself to look at this on a daily basis when trying to seek the Lord's face is, is it a priority? Because if it isn't a priority, then how can I expect the Lord to come across and say, yeah, no, we'll take care of that and we'll do this and whatever the case may be. 
And um, presence is a common translation in the, in the Hebrew word face. So it's true when it says seek his face. It's, the two words work together, and it literally means we are to seek his face. But this is the Hebraic way of, ha- of having access to God. To be before his face is to be in his presence. And that's literally that, is that I, I struggle with connecting with people on WhatsApp, and I struggle with connecting with people even on a cell phone, is that for me it's far greater, is a far greater joy and reward in sitting across them in front of their faces, having a cup of coffee, and actually sharing and doing life. How much more would it be the case with God as to seek his face and in his presence, and I can still have my coffee? <laughs> And it's finding a place. You know, people speak of their closets that they go to to seek God's face. So why aren't we? Um, And then people will ask, but aren't we always in his presence? And the answer to that is yes, yes, no. So the first yes is yes because he's omnipresent. We all know that. The second yes is yes because he's committed um, his, covenant, his covenant commitment is always to be with us and stand with us. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. And also in Matthew 28 verse 20, it says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of age. And the no comes in because we move away. Our stuff gets in the way. The busyness which draws us away from the priority of being in God's presence. Um, his face, the brightness of his personal character is hidden behind the, cu- the curtain of our carnal desires. And we need to pull that curtain back. And it's always ready to overtake us. We need to seek his presence continually. And um, there's a verse in 1 Chronicles 22:19 It says, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. If we're not in a posture of seeking God always. Uh, um, sometimes I catch myself because I'm going into the Woolworths parking lot trying to find a parking and suddenly one opens up and I've learned very quickly just to be thankful. But sometimes that's just God getting my attention. So I'm around. You know, When you're ready, I'm around. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. The next one is turn from our wicked ways. So uh, there's a myth in the church that God is so powerful and when he wants to bring revival, he will pour out his spirit and there will be wonderful things happening. The people will start behaving differently. They will pray and worship and evangelize and witness and give and and all those wonderful things will happen. But actually this is not what the scripture says. So we assume that when God pours out his spirit, I will stop all those things that offend him. And I will become this holy person. But actually what the scripture says When you humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, 
then I will come into action and will hear your prayer, forgive your sin, and heal your land. And all we have to do, it says, then I will hear, forgive, and heal. Now, we've got a line here that this is where the then is. When God does his stuff, then I will turn from my wicked ways and everything in South Africa will be honky-dory. But the truth is, this wine doesn't belong here. It belongs there. We have to move it one down. Um, You know, if, 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 if the first one, if the myth was true, God would have poured out his spirit and the people would then have prayed for ten days in the upper room at Pentecost. But actually the opposite happened. They prayed for ten days and then God poured out his spirit. Are we prepared to prioritize that? As that will just ask just now. Um, we have to repent because the kingdom, the rule of God, kingdom is at hand. Change our thinking about this. This is the mindset in my mind that has to be shattered today. Daryl. I, I want to add on that turn from the repentance is that we live in a culture today where it's all about rights. And if I hold on to my rights, I don't have to repent. There is no wicked way because it's my right to do this. So if I'm at home and I drink myself into a stupor every night and I beat my family, you know, it's, what happens is behind is closed doors. It's mine. It's my right. If I choose to sit in the same chair at church every Sunday, it's my right. I choose to do that. Nobody can do anything with it. Instead of us actually seeking God and saying, Lord, what are my wicked ways? Where, where is this happening? What, search me, Lord. Uh, how many times in the Old Testament does, does David say, search me? And sometimes we just have to put aside our rights because in the kingdom of God, there are no rights. And we need to remember that. Yeah, we're so easily offended because we don't want to go there. It's time to stop being offended because offense is taken, not given, first of all. And we need to seek what God seeks out for us. And this is the whole nature of this verse is around God's plan, what it is for us and what it is for his nation. I mean, this is pretty 101 stuff. We all can get this. We can all understand this. I just want to read another scripture. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor is ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. The Bible is full of that. So how are we going to deal with this? What are we going to do about it? That'll. Ephesians 5, verse 14 to 21. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. And I want to say, wake up, church. 
Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your your heart to the Lord, and always give thanks to the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of lifestyle and an act, that worship is a lifestyle and, and not just an act of worship once on a Sunday. But for me, it's about waking up. It's about waking up from the days, the doze of which we have every Sunday and not every day. So wake up is a call. It needs to be said loudly. Wake up! Wake up, yes! Wake up! Because actually, you laugh because you think you're not asleep. That is the real joke. The, the fact that we need to wake up from sleepwalking. You see, people that are asleep, you can see they're asleep. But people that are sleepwalking is actually I am doing today what I did yesterday. It's automated thinking. It is living in the habits that I have created over time and which I will repeat and repeat without being aware that I am doing this. And we find many people sleepwalking through life and repeating the patterns of their past. And some are terrible ones and we try and send them to counseling for help, but they're just repeating what is programmed into their minds. It's habits that have formed, and we are walking in them without being aware that we are caught in the trap of our own mind. And the fact is here, this trap here, why do we want it to have the line here? Because it requires zero faith. If, I, if, if, if the ball is in God's court, he can do bring revival whenever he wants to. But if I see the line there, it means whether whatever I know God is going to do, I know I have to clean up my life. And I'm preaching to myself. Because the Bible says, no, there is no one without sin. And I didn't read a qualification there. We all have to clean up our lives to, a ne- to another level because the sin just comes more refined. So what does it mean? We want to just end by sharing three applications. The first application is nationally. What does it mean for us as believers in the context of our nation? And... Um, If we look at Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4 to 7, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before God, the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of 
the Israelites, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And so he goes on. Nehemiah identifies with his people. He doesn't stand afar and judge them with a finger and say, Father, they caused it. He says, I'm one of them. I identify with them. and This is intercession. I stand with the nation of this country and own the sin of this country and actually confess it before God. And then God gave him an opening with a king to go back and rebuild the walls. In Ezekiel 22.30, um, I think is the next one I have marked. It says, God says, I looked for a man, I suppose, or a woman, among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. I was looking for a man who would stand up and pray and say, Lord, we are guilty. We, Afrikaners, we, the English, we, the Zulu, we, the people of this nation, we have sinned before you, we have offended you. We deserve your judgment and we deserve death. Won't you forgive us? The terrible thing about this scripture is that last, but I found none. Are you the man or woman God is looking for? In 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 6. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. When we pray for our government, do we pray for salvation of those people that we often judge? There was an example, Jesus on the cross, they nailed him. What did he say? Father, forgive them, because they know not what they do. And Philip, who witnessed this, when they were stoning him, he said the same thing. So it's to be able to forgive and plead for forgiveness for somebody else, that's intercession, but not from a position of my comfortable recliner, but from a position of pain, being crucified and being stoned. This is the challenge we face. Are we prepared to do that? That's transformational. From Genesis to Revelation, we find God searching, Adam, where are you? The whole Old Testament, it's about not only Israel, but the kingdom of God for all nations. In the Psalms it says, ask of me nations and I will give them to you. God is concerned with the nations of the world. Not with my holiness on a Sunday morning. Or apparent. So when we intercede for our country nationally, 
In Revelation, we read about the, the, the four living beings and the elders that were holding the golden bowls full of incense that represented the prayers of the believers. Are you prepared to fill up those bowls? Maybe we can get them to a tipping point where they tilt and stuff happens. And then uh, the next is how we respond corporately. And we've got to remember that before we even get, get into that, that judgment starts with God's house. And uh, in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 6 to 7, um, it speaks of, sorry, where am I going? 1 Peter 4, verse 17. Yeah. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And that is a big thing on us because, you know, often if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, must be a duck. But damn, there's a lot of geese running around at the moment. And if we're going to be the, the people, if we're going to be God's people for the nation and God's people... For, for the individual, then we need to start behaving in it. it needs, the fruit of it needs to be real because there is, is a judgment on us. And the judgment uh, that Peter refers to here is not, is, is not one of condemnation, but it is for the purpose of purifying our faith. It's to operate in the space of faith when it comes to responding to this verse. It's meant to draw us to trust God more deeply and for us to learn to abandon our hope of finding satisfaction in anything apart from Him. It is our faith or our trust in Him which our Father values in us. He values it so much that He's willing to allow us to experience great suffering at times to help us grow fully independent, fully dependent on Him. The other thing in, in John 17 verse 20 um, says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again in Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 18, 19 to 20, it says, again, truly I tell you that if, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I, there am I with them. And he's speaking specifically around unity. Is that unless we can corporately can come together in unity, in asking for anything, in this prayer for our nation, this prayer for, for whichever, unless it's done with unity, it is pointless. Because we speak of the church and we gather all the churches to pray for stuff, but we go, we separate, we keep doing our own thing. There's the un, unity is where God brings blessing, and that's one of the promises that comes from Scripture. We're called to seek God, His plan and agenda in unity. Unity brings blessing, and we need to be as one in seeking God. Unity and agreement in what to pray about and do, seeking God's agenda, not our own understanding. And corporately around, if you look and you ask, okay, turn from our wicked ways, how, how does that refer to us corporately, as us as a church? And sadly, the big issue there is that often 
we pursue church over kingdom. And if we start looking corporately as the kingdom and not as church, things will change. Because it's not about Sarepta, it's not about Hillside, it's not about this church, it's not about that church or this group or that ministry. It's about the kingdom of God, his people, and nothing else. So we need to discern kingdom beyond church. Just to follow on there is actually the church exists entirely for (laughs) non-members. Have you ever thought of that? The church is not here to give you a roof over your head on a Sunday. The church is not here to have you sing joyful songs and enjoy it and get a good teaching. The church is here so that people can be equipped to save the lost. Unless we reach the lost, we failed our purpose. I'm not saying we shouldn't worship God and, and, and be intimate with him, but when we do, we will be out there. Um, and, and something else corporately, I think we forget sometimes that Adam and Eve had the authority to run this planet, fill it and rule over it. 100% delegation and authority, and they messed it up. And Christ came back to reclaim it. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, now go and make disciples of all nations. So he got the authority back and gave it back to us. Are we aware that where two or three are gathered together and agreed, God will hear our prayer? The challenge is that our prayer has to match his agenda, not mine. And my biggest challenge is hearing what his agenda is. Some of it is clear in scripture, but what are the details for me right now? And my challenge is to get to neutral. You see, if we want to hear this, we can pray for as many hours as we want to, but we'll hear what we want to hear. There's a story in the Bible about it. Now, I forget now the details. Which prophet was it that was called by the enemies of Israel to come and curse the Israelites? Balaam, yes. And, 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 and he said, I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. And he went to pray and he said, no, God says, I can't do this. And then they came back with a second delegation from the heathen king and say, yes, you must come and you must do this. And he says, but I've already told you. They said, no, 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 the king said, I'll send you so many, I forget it was camels and donkeys and horses and cattle and whatever it was. He says, I'll pray again. Hey, God says, I can go. Because now his agenda was the stuff he wanted. We can so easily hear our own heart. So getting to neutral where we can say, God, it doesn't matter if you say go left or go right. I'm easy. And it really doesn't matter. Then I can hear clearly what God says. So the last one is personally. How do we apply this personally? And uh, so fasten your seatbelts, huh? No, relax. There's no pressure. You can choose. Jesus always says, if anyone, or choose ye this day. If we can go before God and let him show 
What are the things in our lives that displease him? Confess it, ask forgiveness, don't justify it. Walk in forgiveness. I remember in Freyet when I got this concept of forgiveness for the first time, I, I think it was a teaching of Campus Crusade. I realized how angry I was. I've always known with a guy with a short temper, but I mean, it was very short. And I realized, I, so I, I started to make a list and I, I, I Lord, I, I forgive these people. And then Freyet is a small town and I have a business there. And so you're driving through town and you see this guy in the pavement. Lord, forgive him. I mean, driving through town for a month kept me busy forgiving. And then eventually I said, no, 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 I've done that one. No, 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 no. I've done that one. No, no. I've done that one. No, it's empty. The jail in my mind that I have locked up these people to, where I keep them and want to punish them, is actually toxic to my being and I could open that jail and let them all out so we confess we forgive those are the basics of Christianity but trust me people need help with it it's not automatic humble and pray and seek his face there's a subtle difference in approach I read this morning in Oswald Chambers, if we're living with our eye on him and waiting for his approval, rather than doing what we want and trying to get him to approve our sacrifice after the fact. So, Darrell mentioned, let's turn in place of complaining. Let's become a co-conspirator with God in making the kingdom come and challenge ourselves to a closer and deeper walk with him. So anything and everything we do, we have permission for. Did you know that? If I think it's okay to smoke, I give my permission, myself permission to smoke, and so smoking is okay. The moment I reversed that, and I did this when I was about 22 or 21 thereabouts, I haven't smoked since. I've withdrawn the permission to do this. I still have the permission to have a glass of wine, mostly over weekends. I don't know what is going to happen there, but currently I've given myself that permission. So it doesn't matter what sin it is that people are committing, they have given themselves permission, and we have to line up our permission with what God says. And there's, you can't come with uh, what they call it discipline and uh, uh, self-control and um, willpower. When you engage those three and you get into the boxing ring with them, you're going to lose the fight in the end. It never, you will never win. The only way to win that fight is not to fight. And the only way not to fight is to make a call. Today it is over. I have smoked my last cigarette. And it's not up for discussion after that. So the key is if you can take a piece of chalk or a stick or something and stand and draw a one-meter circle around you like this and say, Lord, bring revival within this circle. Lord, change me. Evelyn Christensen wrote a book like that many years ago. 
The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman that is totally yielded to him. The world has yet to see. Are you that man or woman and how far are you prepared to yield? If you want to say, God, here am I, please stand and I'll ask Daryl to pray for us. Here am I, Lord. Lord, this day we choose to humble ourselves before you. This day we choose. This day, Father, we, we pray that you bring revival in the space around us. This day we, we pray that you will use us as an instrument. Lord, we, we know that we cannot be peacekeepers, but we know that you can use us to be peacemakers. And whatever's been said today, Father, if it stirs in our heart, will you take that, that seed, Lord, and will you make it flourish? Give us a desire, Lord, or help us, Lord, with the desire to seek your face, to seek your presence, Lord. Lord, we know of the audience of one. Father, as we step out from this place, may you work with what we have, Lord. We know that it's not enough, but we know that you are God. And any shortfallings that we may have, Father, you have more, more for us, Lord, beyond that. Lord, I remember in reading Luke 9 where Jesus was so frustrated with, with the disciples calling them an unbelieving and perverted generation all because they weren't able to pray for a boy and get him set free and Lord we've wrestled with that I've wrestled with that father not understanding why he was so rude but now understanding that it was out of sheer frustration because they misunderstood the authority given to them that you've given to them that which he took from Adam and Eve, he gave back to us. We're the instruments of a healed nation, Lord. As it says in Isaiah, here I am, send me. Lord, for those of us who put up our hands for this, may we be blessed, but most importantly, may we be blessing to you, Father. Thank you for the strength and the courage that you give us. And for those of us who are not ready, Lord, to say, here I am, we just pray, Lord, for more of you, more of your presence, that we may see the true power that we hold because of Jesus Christ, Christ within us, the hope of glory. But we choose to praise you nonetheless, Lord, for you are Lord, King, and Savior. Just an ending, if you would like to respond to this by being prayed for, if there's any need prayer, would you just come forward and if you're done for the day, thank you, bless you.